was actually something I was reminded of a couple weeks ago. Um, we, well, I told you last week that uh, we had the opportunity to visit with um, the uh, Ohio Calvary Chapel pastors uh, a week ago Saturday uh, and for a time of fellowship and, and it was a, re a good refreshing and one of the things that Joe Foch, who is the Calvary Chapel pastor in Portsmouth down at the bottom of the state essentially he's been a Calvary Chapel pastor for gosh 30 years or more uh, one of the first Calvaries he got saved in the initial Jesus movement uh, and so um, he, he was he kind of leads us he's not we don't have bishops or anything like that uh, in our fellowships of, of churches but he was just kind of reminding us of some things and it was good good to hear um, and that's what I wanted to talk about today was I wanted us to make sure that our roots are secure as a church that to just share with each of you and remind you who we are um, we are a Calvary Chapel Church and what that means is that we we aren't part of a denomination because Calvary Chapel is not a denomination we are part of a fellowship of churches that got started by Chuck Smith actually started before Chuck Smith Chuck Smith was asked to lead Calvary Chapel uh, they were a small fellowship uh, that had had um, grown to about 25 people and uh, in the late 60s early 70s um, and we're looking for a pastor um, I think I think they said I'm trying to remember how the story goes but uh, when they they had Chuck come in and Chuck Smith was the guy that started the Calvary Chapel movement they had him come in and speak and then they took a vote on whether or not they wanted him to be a pastor, the pastor there, and the congregation was equally divided. There were 12 that said yes, 12 that said no, and one person that abstained. <laughs> so they're like, okay, what do we do with this? Anyway, he ended up becoming the, the pastor. Uh, and when he did, he began teaching the Book of Romans and set in place who Calvary Chapel would become, what makes us distinct from other churches, and, um, and that is the reading and the teaching of the word. Um, and so that's one of the things that I wanted to emphasize today. Uh, we'll be in Acts chapter 17 to start. Uh, I just want to read a story there. Uh, as we live in the age that we're living in, I wonder what you think about the society that we live in, the, the, the times, the ages that we're in. Um, I tend to have the opinion that, man, things are bad. This is like, I can't imagine a worse time, you know, with the political division, with the racial division, with the, um, uh, all the different proponents of deviancy, because we're in family settings, I want to be careful what I say. Um, it feels like this is the worst it's ever been. And so I wanted to read Acts chapter 17 about a time when Paul walked into um, a synagogue. Let's just read it. Now, when they had passed through Amphilius and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, 
explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying that Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ. Some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. Um, sorry, that's not exactly where I wanted to start. 22 is where I wanted to start. So, verse, chapter 17, verse 22. Athens. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, him I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, or just simply at 28 Westerview, nor is he worshipped with men, men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives all life, breath, and all things, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Paul walks into, this is what's known as Mars Hill, and walks into the city of Athens, and there were temples, I forget how many temples, hundreds of different temples in the city of Athens, and there were, beyond that, there were thousands and thousands of idols, statues that had been erected. And essentially the city of Athens was a place that anybody could worship anything. And just to make sure that they had all the bases covered, they created a place that said to the unknown God, maybe we don't know about one. And so we better create this space. And the society that Paul was walking into in Athens were predominantly Epicureans or Stoics. And what I wanted us to emphasize today is that's the society we live in today. We live amongst Epicureans and Stoics. And what do I mean by that? Well, the Epicureans were people that wholeheartedly believed in the pursuit of pleasure. The end game in life was to live happy and to live, to do whatever made you happy. No matter what that was, at whatever ever cost that was. Well, doesn't that sound a lot like society today? And then the Stoics would be, well, we need to fully keep our emotions in check um, and essentially live a life devoid of emotion, which ended up being a suicide community. They would get so depressed that many of them committed suicide. Well, don't we have that problem today as well? Um, I think since COVID, there have been more suicides in America than ever in history before. And so, what the wisest man said at one point in life, Saul, or Solomon, there is nothing new under the sun, genuinely is true. And while we can feel as though, yes, this is the worst time there has ever been, there's never been a generation like our generation, 
what we can read from in Acts chapter 17 and know of, of the city of Athens as Paul preached to Mars Hill is that, no, it is the same. It is a life with devoid of God and his promises leaves people empty. And they try to fill that emptiness, emptiness with either pleasure or they try to escape it by taking their lives. And so the society outside our doors, outside our walls, needs the hope that we have found. And that's what I want to emphasize today. We as a church have a mission statement. Win, grow, send. And I was talking with our leadership, and I don't think I've shared in the whole setting just some of the thoughts that I've had recently about that. We are doing the grow thing pretty well. Um, I wholeheartedly believe this book changes people's lives. And if we teach it chapter by chapter, verse by verse, I trust that the Holy Spirit will use his word to change your life. And if you just show up on a regular basis and allow the word of God to be fed, and not just on Sunday morning, but show up to his word in your life on a regular basis, it will change your life. And I think we do that pretty well. We, in recent months and years, have gotten the send part down pretty well, too. Um, we talked about Michelle went and led worship at the women's retreat. Um, what else was going on? I can't remember. Well, yeah, I was saving that one, but uh, was there, there was something else that we were, oh, Chris went and served in the prison, uh, and we, we baked cookies. Uh, what? Well, yeah, she's getting ready to, she's growing and learning in um, what it is to, to lead a women's ministry, which is pretty awesome. Um, Michelle leaves tomorrow to go to San Diego for a women's uh, pastor's wives conference. Uh, and so that will be a great time. So we're getting the send part down pretty well, too, which I'm excited about. Living on mission. That's great. Um, and one of the things I wanted to share is uh, what Andrew updated us with. I don't know if you've been watching the pictures on social media or if you follow Andrew on Facebook or whatever. He's down in Columbia doing the uh, medical brigade with Sedinfa, and uh, it's going great. It's going amazing. They've got everything prepared, and I think it's like today and tomorrow or yesterday, today and tomorrow that they, they started the mission. Uh, but he texted us Wednesday, Thursday, something, the leadership of the church, this massive table of medicine, which was one of his pictures on social media as well. And he just said, hey, I want you guys to know Church 860 has provided half of this medicine. That's pretty awesome. Our little fellowship is, is sending well, is, is doing an amazing thing, living a generous life, which is what sending people out is about. Um, and so I just want to encourage us to continue to grow our roots deep. And by that I mean to stay rooted in his word. Calvary Chapel has um, a book called the Calvary Chapel Distinctives. If you haven't read it yet, I highly recommend you do because this is who we are. Uh, this is what we stand on as a church and what makes us distinct from other churches. Um, I only have one copy. I, I need to buy some more. Uh, but if you want to take it after I'm done with it today, you're welcome to do that. It is available online in a PDF format. Just search Calvary Chapel Distinctives PDF 
and you can download it uh, and read it on your phone or tablet or whatever. Um, the chapter I wanted to share today, and I'm going to actually read to you Chuck Smith's book, <laughs> um, is chapter six of the distinctives, which is simply entitled The Priority of the Word. It says, 1 Timothy 4.13, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Chuck says, another primary distinctive of Calvary Chapel is the endeavor to declare to people the whole counsel of God. We see this principle illustrated when Paul met with the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. As they were on the shore of the Aegean, Aegean Sea at Miletus, around the coastal area of Ephesus, Paul said that he was innocent of the blood of all men, quote, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Now, how is it possible for a person to claim to have declared the whole counsel of God? The only way a person could make that claim would be if he taught the whole word of God with them, from Genesis to Revelation. Once a pastor has taken his congregation through the Bible, then he can say to them, I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. This cannot be done with teaching only topical sermons. Topical sermons are good, and they have their place, but when you're preaching topically, you're prone by nature to preach only those topics that you like. There are topics in the Bible that are not very inspiring, and they don't excite people, but they are necessary issues that need to be addressed. When you're preaching topically, the human tendency is to avoid controversial or difficult topics. As a result, people will not gain a well-balanced view of God's truth. So the value of going straight through the Bible is that you can say, I have not shunned to declare to you all the counsel of God. I, can be I believe I can say to the people of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, I have declared to you the whole counsel of God. I have taken them from Genesis to Revelation eight times. Soon we will be getting the ninth round. We don't skip anything. That's why in the majority of the Calvary chapels and the most successful ones, you'll find systematic teaching of the entire Word of God going through the Bible from cover to cover. The teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel is expositional in style. doesn't mean that on occasion a pastor won't address a particular topic or give a topical message. I'm not saying topical messages are wrong or evil. They have their place. We don't want to fall into a strict legalism where, where we analyze every sermon to see if it was homiletically correct and expositionally presented. But for the most part, we seek to follow the example of Isaiah. The word of the Lord was unto them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Isaiah 28:13. These verses are describing the people's reaction to Isaiah's style of teaching. Isaiah had an effective method, but they were making fun of him. They were complaining about him, mocking, saying that he ought to go back and teach the kindergartners because he was teaching, his teaching was precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. They said those words in derision, yet it's so important to take the people through the word, line upon line, precept upon precept. When we do, we are delivering to them the whole counsel of God. Another advantage of teaching the whole counsel of God is that when you come to difficult issues that deal with problems in an individual's life 
or within the church body, you can address them straightforwardly. You don't need to worry about people thinking, oh, he's aiming at me today. But in the congregation, the people in the congregation know that it's simply the passage of Scripture being studied that day, and that they real and they realize that you're going straight through the Bible. You're not jumping from topic to topic, but rather teaching straight through the entire Word of God. In Nehemiah, we read, when the children of Israel had returned from captivity and were rebuilding the city, the leadership gathered the people together and constructed a little platform. They began early in the morning to read the word of God to the people. Nehemiah 8.8 declares, They read in the word and the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. I believe this is a worthy definition of expositional preaching. To read the word, give the sense, and cause the people to understand the meaning. I have found that many times I really don't begin to grasp the meaning of a particular passage until I've read it maybe 50 or 60 times. Suddenly it begins to come together in my own mind. It's valuable to use good commentaries to help in understanding the meaning of a passage. I appreciate the insights God has given other men on the word. But in saying that, I, that I appreciate and do read commentaries. I must also confess that I'll often read pages and pages from commentaries and get absolutely nothing that I can use. Sometimes when I read several commentaries on a particular passage, I'm more confused when I finish than when I started, because there's just too many different concepts or ideas on a particular passage. I believe that one of the best commentaries on the Bible is the Bible itself. In teaching the Word of God, it's important to remember that you won't generally see immediate or spectacular results overnight. It takes time to wet and develop the appetite of the people for the Word of God. It takes time for them to grow. For most Calvary chapels that are planted in a new area, it takes a couple of years to lay a foundation, prepare the ground, plow the hardened soil, work the soil, and plant the seed in the fertile soil. But then wait. The seed doesn't begin the seed doesn't bear fruit overnight. The seed has to grow and develop, but eventually it begins to bear fruit. Most of the fellows have gone out to plant a church. By the end of the second year, they've hit the crisis point. They're usually discouraged. They start believing that the people are, the people are different from other people and that it's just not going to happen. You would be amazed how many pastors have gone out and after two years have called me up saying they were going to leave the ministry because it wasn't happening. I encourage them to stay for just another six months or so, telling them, look, you've come through the hard part, you've been through the plowing, you've been through the cultivating the soil, you've been through the planting, now wait and watch and see if any fruit will come forth. As a general rule, it's in the third year that you begin to see fruit as a result of planting the word of God in the hearts of the people. The seed that falls on good soil will bring forth fruit, some 30, some 60, some a hundredfold, Matthew 13. But it doesn't happen overnight. This can be rather discouraging when there are those who come in with a flash and a fire and seem to generate an immediate crowd. The people throng to see the miracles, to watch the fireworks. These other guys seem to have instant success. But here you are just plodding along, teaching the Word of God, Genesis through Revelation, and you cannot see much development or growth. But as for the Lord, but as the Lord said to Daniel, and as the Lord said to Daniel, and they say that be wise shall 
And they say that be wise shall shine as brightness of the firmament. Oh, sorry. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Daniel 12, 3. He says, on the 4th of July, it's fun to watch fireworks. The skyrockets, the blazes of glory, and the colored sparklers, sparkles filling the sky. Everybody's ooing and eyeing, but it only lasts for a short time. Before you know it, it's just ashes. It's a big flash, and then it's all over. That's the way many ministries are. Just a big flash, and then it's over. You have to determine which sky you want to shine in. Do you want to shine as a star forever and ever? Or do you want to be like a skyrocket with a sudden flash coming on the scene dramatically, but with no staying power? And so what Joe reminded us of a couple weeks ago was just to simply stay in the Word and trust that the Word of God changes people's lives. And it was a good reminder for all of us. Um, when I look at our city and all that's happening in its Epicurean and Stoic ways, uh, what I know is going to change people's lives is the Bible, is the Word of God. And when I look at some churches in Columbus that have flashed up and done amazingly well, it's hard not to look at that and get envious because we've been plowing the ground for many, many years. Chuck Smith said, you know, wait till the third year. Well, we're almost in our seventh now. And what we've come to realize is that the Midwest ground is harder than a lot of the ground in the nation. We were talking at that huddle that in California, if you put up a sign that says Calvary Chapel, you'll have 100 people show up the first Sunday because it's just so well known out there. But people don't know the name Calvary Chapel here. And people within our fellowship aren't familiar with what our roots are. And so what I wanted to do today was just kind of show where we've planted our roots and where we're digging down deep. And that is wholeheartedly on the Word of God. So to close today, uh, I was reminded of Peter's sermon as the church began. Uh, the Holy Spirit falls at the beginning of the book of Acts, uh, and we see lots of people getting saved, lots of things going on, and Peter, ready, fire, aim, Peter, the dude that eats filet of soul all the time, pulls off this sermon that is just amazing, just outstanding, Acts chapter 2. And they asked him the question, what do we do to be saved? And, and 3,000 men give their lives to the Lord because of this sermon as the Holy Spirit is definitely upon Peter. And the church begins. And what it says at the end of Acts uh, chapter 2 is who I want us to be. It's just one verse, but I want to get it exactly right, so... Now, a couple verses, starting with verse 40, Acts chapter 2. And with many other words, he, Peter, testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. We want to see people one to the Lord. 
That's the first word in our mission, win. We want to see that's how the church is going to grow. I'm not interested in sheep stealing. I'm not interested. I mean, if people are genuinely interested in coming and being a part of who we are uh, from another fellowship, they are more than welcome. But I'm not seeking to steal sheep from other shepherds. I want to see people one to the Lord. And that's what Paul, or that's what Peter here was, was saying. Be saved from the Epicureans. Be saved from the Stoics. Be saved from this perverse generation. Verse 41, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And here's the verse. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, teaching, and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. And that's who I want Church 1860 to be. We would be steadfast in continuing to learn the Word of God, continuing to teach the Word of God. Chuck Smith, eight times, and by when this book was written, I think he went on, I think he taught it a total of 11 or 12 times before he passed. He would teach the Bible in two years. Blazing speed. I, I'm in year 15? So I'm finished once, yeah. <laughs> but in his he his system was a little bit different. In his Sunday morning, he had four or five Sunday morning. No, it was four Sunday morning services. Um, and so each their Sunday morning services were only an hour long, and he would teach a portion of the scripture that he was teaching that night. And so his sermons were generally only a half hour long. And then it was Sunday nights that he would teach for 90 minutes. And in that 90 minute time, he would sometimes teach 10 to 15 chapters um, at a clip. And so that's how he's able to do it, was able to do it in two years, uh, just flying through. And so the C2000 series, which is on Blue Letter Bible, is uh, his teaching through the Bible uh, from the early 80s. And it was just two years uh, that he went through it. Uh, I don't take that style I, I, because um, I, we do it on Sunday morning, and so that's why our services are a little bit longer, and, and uh, we teach the whole word on Sunday morning. So, um, but we devote ourselves. With, that's where our roots are: is is in being devoted to uh, the, the apostles' doctrine, to the teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, which is communion, and to prayer. Uh, those are our tenets. Those are the things that we stand on. Uh, that's who we are, and that's who we will continue to be, and that's how we will accomplish our mission of seeing people one to Christ, all of us growing in Christ, and all of us being sent on mission for Him. Amen.